Some of us are estranged from our earthly families. But when we come from earthly, whether we come from, from earthly families that provided us a, a positive experience or ones that were filled with heartache, if we are followers of Jesus Christ through his plan and his purpose for us, then our heavenly father has called us into his eternal family where we now have hundreds and thousands of people that we can call brother and sister. And there is a name for that special relationship that Christians have with other Christians. We often use the word fellowship. Fellowship is a gift given by God for his own children to love and care for one another. Fellowship was one of the four priorities of the very first Christians. In Acts chapter 2, in verse 42, it records that the earliest believers performed four different activities when they met together. Listen to this verse. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. You see, fellowship was held in extremely high regard as one of the four most important activities in which a Christian could participate. And let me suggest, brothers and sisters, that we too might benefit by learning about true fellowship. And so today, we are embarking on the study of one particular New Testament book that can expose us to a great deal of understanding about the idea of the Christian family and fellowship. So if you have your Bibles with you today, I'm going to encourage you to turn to 1 John. Today we're going to be covering just the introduction of the book of 1 John. We're going to be exploring three foundational truths about true fellowship. But before we do that, let's explore that word just a bit more. Fellowship, what is it? You know, that word fellowship is a unique biblical concept. Our English word fellowship comes from the Greek word koinonia. Koinonia. And this word means a commonality or a common bond. The word carries with it the meaning of sharing life. Here's a, a, perhaps a good way to illustrate it. You might think of uh, this like the way that a man and a woman share their lives together until death do they part. And each day that they spend together, they learn and they grow. They change their ways to help their spouse and to care for one another, especially in the dark and difficult times of illness or loss. And the longer that they do life together, the more that they grow in the experience of koinonia, fellowship. You see, the sharing of life is supposed to be the lifeblood of the church and the common bond of all Christians. If a, if a church is missing this sharing of life, then the church will die. And according to that passage that I read to you in Acts, the development of these deep relationships is as important as the Scriptures. Think about that for a moment. Learning to give and take, to accept one another's faults and love them anyway, to enjoy one another's company, finding acceptance, finding love, 
having a family who loves you for who you are and not for what you do. These are all aspects that belong to the fellowship that we should experience as God's church. Fellowship builds families in Christ, but there are foundational truths that we all must agree upon in order to experience true koinonia, real fellowship. Just like a sturdy house has a strong foundation, so a strong Christian fellowship has to have a sturdy foundation. So the introduction for the book of 1 John outlines for us three foundational truths that we must hold on to in order to experience genuine fellowship. And let's, so let's take a look at these. The first truth that I want to share with you this morning is the reality of Christ. The reality of Christ. Let's look at the verse, two verses again. What was from the beginning? What we have heard what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was revealed, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was revealed to us. And so John begins this letter. And the very first foundational truth is found in the first two verses. John is combating a false doctrine that was prevalent in his day and present still today in our world. This false belief system was called Gnosticism, from the Greek word to know. And at its root level, Gnosticism teaches that Jesus was not a real human being. Instead, Christianity is simply a conglomeration of positive principles and, and moral ideals assembled over time by well-meaning rabbis that are good to pursue. Gnosticism is sometimes called secret knowledge. I know something that you don't know. Or higher knowledge. Allow me to inform you how naive you are in your simplistic and silly beliefs. You see, Gnosticism elevates human insight, human reason, and human education over and above Scripture. And this form of thinking is still alive within Christianity today. And so here, John rebukes those false ideas by reminding the early Christians that he was writing to that he had seen Jesus. He had seen the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus isn't a creation. He is the creator. He isn't a warm, fuzzy idea. He is the eternal author and perfecter of our faith. John says that he had heard Christ speak right in front of him. John had seen and even touched Christ. You know, a good number of those in his audience at the time that he wrote this letter would not even have been alive when Christ walked the earth. It had been 60 years since the death of Christ and his resurrection. Now John is an old man. And they had to rely on the eyewitness testimony of John and his letters, so that they could come to fully believe 
and understand the truth and the reality of Christ. To understand that Jesus is part of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Christ was there when the world was built. He came to earth in the form of a man. And he was seen. And he was touched. Mary held him in her arms as a tiny baby. And according to this credible testimony of John the eyewitness, Christ was a real living being that stood and spoke truth right in front of them. And Christ not only came as a human being, but he brought with him the hope of eternal life. John says that Christ was with the Father in heaven, and then he was sent down here to live as a man so that we would have an opportunity to embrace eternal life. Christ bridged the gap between what we have been, been scrambling at for, for a, an entire existence. He helped us to understand our need for a Savior. Christ came and died to forgive us of all the sin in our life, in your life and in my life. He came to show us that He loves us, loves us even more than our earthly parents could love us. He came and he died. He is the man who endured hours of torture and agony on the cross while many of those closest to him ran away. He was left abandoned and alone and yet continued on even when he could have quit. That man is Jesus Christ and he died for our salvation. And that is the first truth that we must hold on to in order to experience True fellowship. We must agree upon the reality of Jesus Christ. He is the center and He is the origin of all true fellowship. And apart from Him, any fellowship that we might experience with others is simply built upon good feelings and ideas and is a mere shadow of what true koinonia, real fellowship can be. God the Father sent His only Son to die so that you and I would have a daddy and a brother in heaven forever. This is the reality of Christ and it is the only reality upon which true fellowship can take place. The fellowship begins. True fellowship begins with the reality of Jesus Christ. Now let's look at the second foundational truth. After the reality of Christ, we need to think about the proclamation of Christ. Let's look at verse 3 together. John says, What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. You see, everything that John had seen and heard, he told to those early Christian men and women. Why did he do that? so that they also could see and find God and become a part of his family. So that everyone could have a loving and caring father and brothers and sisters. So that you and I could become a part of the eternal family of God. John continues by making the point that his fellowship is first and foremost with the Father and the Son. 
You see, everywhere we look in the Bible, God must always come first, and then mankind. But we get that backwards, don't we? We put ourselves first, and then we fit God in to the picture, the plan that we've created. But that's not God's plan for us. God must be first. And yet, although God is first, there's a second half to that equation. That is the telling, the proclamation. That must also exist, or we have failed at being a true Christian family. Just as as knowing Christ holds the most important position in becoming a Christian, we must also have heard ourselves about the love and the joy of Christ. And since we have heard and accepted Christ, others then must hear and accept Christ through our proclamation so that they too can become a part of the fellowship of God. You see, a, a major part of having true fellowship with Christ and connecting to our Christian family is our willingness to tell others and bring them home to the family as well. You know, when I first became a Christian as a teenager, I was pretty lost. In fact, some people didn't like being around me because I was actually quite volatile and angry in the way that I lived my life. And in that process of coming to Jesus, I was changing from living the way that I had been going to the way that I needed to be going. And thankfully, there were some people that were patient in taking me through that process and talking to me and proclaiming to me and telling me about Jesus. Do you understand how important the proclamation of Christ is? If we keep Christ to ourselves, if we fail to proclaim him, we will have no family and no true fellowship in Christ. You see, those go together. To proclaim Christ is the second foundational truth of true koinonia, real fellowship. The reality of Christ, the proclamation of Christ, and then finally, number three, we need to understand this core foundational truth. True joy is only found in Christ. In verse 4, John says, These things we write that our joy may be made complete. John is giving the purpose for writing this letter right at the front. He says, here's why I'm writing this to you guys. I want you to experience the joy that I've experienced. I want my joy to be increased as you come to experience the joy of Christ. John finishes this introduction to his letter by letting his readers know that he will find great joy in seeing them come to and follow Christ. He will feel great joy knowing that he will have more brothers and sisters to share the love of Christ with. He finds great joy in knowing that he is not alone in his love for the Savior. John would find no greater joy than seeing others come and join him in true fellowship. His entire purpose for writing was to help people find the truth and live by it. You see, when someone becomes a Christian, 
They become a member of God's eternal family. And when they become a member of God's family, they are entitled to all the benefits and the responsibilities of living in that family. And so might I suggest to you, friends, that if your spiritual life at times seems lacking, if you're feeling a bit drawl or bored or otherwise unhappy with your spiritual existence, can I suggest that you check out your relationship with Christ? John himself says that he finds great joy, great happiness, unending pleasure in seeing others come to Christ. Does seeing someone else come to Christ, does that make your life exciting? Does it cause your heart to jump with joy? Then your heart is probably in the right place. However, if we feel anything else, indifference, apathy, jealousy, then we ought to perhaps check our own relationship and make sure that we are right with Jesus Christ. You see, real fellowship can't be reduced simply to, to getting together, to eating meals together, hanging out, talking. Those are all just glimpses of true fellowship, but genuine koinonia. True fellowship is so much deeper, so much richer than that. Our relationship with God determines our relationship with others. And so fellowship is about sharing that common belief and reality with one another. There is more to life but it only happens when we cling to Christ. Ashley Joss was recently shopping at her local Target store when a book caught her eye. The 27-year-old woman had pledged to read more books, and so she picked up the book and bought it. And when she got home, she sat down in her favorite chair and she began to read that book. Not long after she got into the first chapter, her dog barked suddenly, startling her, causing her to throw the book. And in doing so, she noticed that something fell out of the book. She picked it up and looked. It was a $5 bill and a note attached to the $5 bill. They had been hidden at the back of the book. She read the note and it said, to the person who buys this book, I'm having a tough day. I thought maybe I could brighten someone else's with this little surprise. Go buy a coffee or a donut or a face mask. Practice some self-care today. Remember that you are loved, you are amazing, and you are strong. And it was signed by Lisa. Well, Joss was so moved by this note that she posted it on Twitter. And after several of her friends shared it, the local newspaper got a hold of the story, and then the tweet went viral. Not only were people enthusiastic about sharing this cool story, but they were motivated to take part in spending uh, more time spreading acts of kindness. And so Joss's dad, for example, bought groceries for a customer in front of him at the supermarket. Another follower of Joss's on Twitter wrote that she had been inspired to do acts of kindness 
in honor of her 19-year-old daughter who had passed away recently in a car accident. When people see how easy it is to make a stranger's day, they, they naturally gravitate to be part of a movement. And so for Joss, this note was life-changing. And so now every week since she's found it, she has committed herself to practicing another act of kindness. She said, this has shown me the value of checking in with people around me and making sure that I take these opportunities to encourage them. I don't think we can ever do that enough. That's a great story, isn't it? We love stories like that, warm, fuzzy stories like Ashley's. The idea that one person can make a difference simply by being nice. But might I suggest, friends, that we possess something far more significant than warm, fuzzy feelings. We have the ability to share something of far greater value than a $5 bill or a bag of groceries. We are bound together by the most important life-changing, hope-giving, grace-filled reality in the world. The love of Christ in us. Ashley is right. There is great value in checking in with people around us and making sure that we take those opportunities to encourage them. But as we check in, let us be busy proclaiming the reality of Christ and the truth that real joy can only be found in Him. You see, when we love others as we love ourselves, it's a joining together, a uniting, a partnership. It says, in effect, that we are all in this together. That is true koinonia, real fellowship. And by living this way, we bring God and others into full unity with ourselves, pushing aside our own selfish ambitions and concerns and preferences and ideas to pursue and to embrace harmony, harmony and unity and generosity. And it might be rough to embrace the concept of koinonia in such a self-oriented world as we live in today. But brothers and sisters, we are called to do this. It is our mission. It is our purpose. Above any other purpose in this life. To proclaim the reality of Jesus Christ. And the joy that comes from knowing him. And so may we follow these models and base our life on these foundations. Let's pray together.